0: Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Fruits meet stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Dear friends, in Christ Jesus, it is nice, isn't it, being here in God's house this morning. The Christmas decorations. Uh, should lift our hearts, for we are getting ready to celebrate Christmas, aren't we? That's what we're doing in this Advent season, this period of four Sundays before Christmas. We are getting ready because Christmas means the birthday. And we are asking ourselves, what child is this? whose birthday we are getting ready to celebrate. And as you know, each Sunday in the Advent season, we have been asking a different person, what child is this? And on the first Sunday in Advent, you recall, we asked Zacharias, who was the father of John the Baptist, and we said, Zacharias, what child is this? Who is this child whose birthday we are getting ready to celebrate? And the answer, you recall, that from Zacharias was this, that he's the day spring from on high. He is no less than the morning light from heaven, the light that came to bring eternal life to you and me, to rescue us from the darkness of eternal death. And then last Sunday, you recall, we asked Jesus himself, what child is this? Who are you? And we took an answer of something that he said in the closing days of his earthly ministry, When he assured us that this child, he said, is no less than the son of man who is going to come back, who is going to come back to punish those who have played him for a fool, those again who have mistreated him, those who have denied him, those who have rejected him. Now today, this is the third Sunday in Advent, and here at Emmanuel today, this is Commitment Sunday, isn't it? This is the Sunday when those of us who have committed ourselves to Christ in the past will recommit ourselves again today, and when some of us will commit ourselves to him for the first time in our lives. And really, this does bring in your mind and mine a very serious and important question, doesn't it? It brings this question to my mind, is this child of Bethlehem, is he worthy of your and my staking our eternal destiny on him? Is this child deserving of us putting our faith and our trust in him for eternal life. Does he merit our placing our hope of eternal life in him? Is this child deserving of that kind of commitment? Is there this that he may let you and me down? Is there this that he may prove a fraud? Is there this that he may prove to be an imposter? I don't know about you, but in my own life I can't think of anything more tragic than for myself having committed myself to him, staking my eternal destiny on him, and spending my life in his service to have him let me down and to prove a fraud. I couldn't think of anything that could be more tragic in my life which would mean that it hadn't been wasted. It's just that serious. And that's why today on this third Sunday in Advent, as we're getting ready for Christmas and this is Commitment Sunday, we would like to have an answer. Is this child of Bethlehem worthy of our staking our eternal destiny on him? Putting all of our eggs in one basket on him. And today we're going to ask the son of Zacharias, we're going to ask John the Baptist. And we say, John, what about this child of Bethlehem? What child is this? john the baptist is this child worthy of our risking our eternal destiny life and salvation on him when we turn to john the baptist when he was 30 years of age he began his public ministry jesus you know was six months younger jesus came six months later and john we are told went out in the wilderness of judea and all jerusalem and judea and all those who lived around the jordan valley they came out to hear him And as he began to testify and he told them to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he made a tremendous statement about Jesus who would come. And this is what he said to the multitude one day. He said, and he that cometh after me, he said, is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He said, this one that is going to come after me he is so mighty he is so great he is so far above me that I am not fit to carry his sandals to do the most menial task of a servant he is mightier than I and today when we say to ourselves is this child of Bethlehem is he worthy of our absolute surrender to him staking our eternal destiny on him John the Baptist assures us that he is worthy he is most deserving john says don't be afraid he'll never let you down he will never prove a fraud he will never prove an imposter because john said for this reason he is mightier than i he is greater than i he is far superior to me he is so far superior to me that i am not worthy to carry his sandals and you and I may say, but John, just how mighty are you? Just how important are you? You say that this child of Bethlehem is worthy of our surrendering ourselves to him and staking our eternal life on him because he's mightier than you. Just how superior, John, are you? Who are you? Aren't you a sinner like we are? And John would remind you and me that Jesus answered that question one day. When they came to Jesus one day and asked him about John the Baptist, you know what Jesus said about John? Jesus said, Among them that are born of women, he said one day, there has arisen none greater than John the Baptist. John says, I would remind you of what this child said about me. He said that there is none born of woman who is mightier and greater than I, that I am the greatest human being that was ever born, that ever came into this world. That's what this child said about me. And that's why on this Sunday when we say to ourselves, I want to know, Is he ever going to let me down? Is he worthy that I can stake my eternal destiny on him? And John the Baptist said, oh, he's most worthy. Don't you be afraid for a moment. Don't you have any doubts and misgivings? He will never prove a fraud. He will never prove a sham. John says, for this reason, he is mightier than I, and I, on the basis of what he said, I am the mightiest human being that was ever born of woman. You and I may say this morning, is this a matter of Jesus in again in exaggeration complimenting John and John in exaggeration complimenting Jesus you mean that Jesus is worthy of my surrendering my life to him because this child is greater and mightier than John the Baptist and John the Baptist is the mightiest the greatest human being that ever came into this world born of a woman is it true that jesus is mightier than john that he is mightier than the mightiest is it true that the comparative in this case is greater than the superlative let's look at that this morning your soul and mind rest upon this and it's a serious thing john would remind you and me uh, that you'll never make any mistake in surrendering your life to him in staking all your eggs in one basket john said he's mightier than i and i am the mightiest that ever came into the world and that's true because in the first place john would remind you and me of this john would have us know that while both again this child of bethlehem and he had a miraculous birth nevertheless the child alone had a virgin birth and an incarnation You may say, how could Jesus ever say that John was the greatest born of woman? Wasn't he a sinner? Sure, he was a sinner just like you are and just like I am. That was not his greatness. But yet, how could Jesus ever say and say it in truth that John the Baptist was the greatest human being that ever came into the world? Well, let's first look at his birth. He had a miraculous birth, didn't he? He was born of Zacharias and Elizabeth when Elizabeth was way past the age of childbearing. There were no more ovums or eggs formed in the body of Elizabeth. Menopause had taken place long, long ago. It was miraculous to the point that God saw to it that Elizabeth in her old age, that that body of hers was able to produce an ovum, so that with the sperm of Zacharias, conception took place. The conception of John the Baptist was a miracle of God. He was born by a miraculous birth, born a sinner, however, a miraculous birth. And we can recall another one the same way with Isaac who was born of Abraham and Sarah. When she was past the burying stage for children, it was a miracle of God that brought Isaac because God himself saw to it that in the same way Sarah's body was able to produce an ovum, so that with the sperm of an Abraham, conception took, could take place and a child could be born. Look, however, at the birth of this child of Bethlehem. It was a miraculous birth, but far greater than the birth of John the Baptist. John the greatest, a miraculous birth. But look at this birth. Here was a virgin birth. Here was a young girl by the name of Mary. Here was a girl who conceived. Conception took place in her without the aid of a male. In a mysterious way, the word of God says that the Holy Ghost overpowered her and overshadowed her and placed within her the seed of life that Mary had conceived within her womb. And there was to be a child without the aid of a human being. It was a miraculous birth. It was a virgin birth, like unto which nothing had ever occurred or will occur. Because with that virgin birth, it was also an incarnation. Who was this child born of a virgin? He was God. He was God the Son, who from eternity was a Spirit. And then God the Son condescended to enter into a union with that body and soul that was born of the Virgin without a human father. And there came an inseparable union. God united with a human being. That was the incarnation. And therefore, when John says, you don't have to be afraid to commit yourselves to this child of Bethlehem and stake your eternal destiny on him, john says he is mightier than i and i'm the greatest both of them great in the miraculous birth but the fact that this child's birth was a virgin birth and it was an incarnation you and i know this that means that this child was perfectly qualified to be our savior and to be our substitute why so much on the virgin birth because that way he was born without sin john was born with original sin his The birth of this Jesus was greater. Being born, that was God's way to bring a human being into this world. From a sinful mother and yet to be sinless. That's the virgin birth. And he was also God. He was of more value than the human race. You and I don't have to be afraid. When we surrender ourselves to this child of Bethlehem and stake our eternal destiny on him, that he's ever going to prove a fraud. He was born miraculously of the virgin, sinless, and he was no less than god that means to me a savior who because he was sinless could represent me and do something about my sin now that means that because he was god he could do something about the eternal punishment of the entire human race john the baptist tells you and me don't you ever fear you can put all your eggs in one basket He'll never prove a fraud. And there when we're getting ready for Christmas and today is Commitment Sunday, we ought to say to ourselves, I'm going to believe this, that I can put my trust and my faith in him, my hope of eternal life and everlasting salvation in him, because this child is no less than one who was greater, mightier than John the Baptist, mightier than the mightiest human being that was ever born of woman. And when we believe that, then we ought to determine today, this commitment day, that we're not going to be ashamed to own him as Lord and Savior. Oh, how many people there are who somehow or other feel embarrassed to surrender their hearts and their souls to Jesus Christ. How many who feel that's sort of a sissy thing, It's sort of an effeminate thing? You know, the world looks at that and says, well, anybody that confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and goes to church is rather a sissified individual. You know, I rather resent that. My Lord was anything but a sissy. I think of him when he was in the temple and when he took the rope and he drove out the money. Change. He was a man. Now, if there's anything I've ever wanted to be as a minister, it was to be a man among men. Not an effeminate preacher. I don't like effeminate preachers. My Lord was not effeminate. My Lord was not a sissy. But the man on the outside, he looks and he, he's ashamed there's something wrong. And why? Because he doesn't know. I think of Colonel Lou Wallace this morning. Colonel Lou Wallace, you know, he hated Jesus Christ with a vengeance. To him, anybody that embraced Christ as Lord and Savior was just crazy. And Colonel Lou Wallace decided he was going to write a book, you know, that he was going to make it so ridiculous for anybody to believe in Christ that, again, the Christian faith would be absolutely a thing of the past and one of his friends says write the book that's what the world needs but the thing is colonel new wallace he started to write the book and he didn't know enough about this child of bethlehem to even write about. all he knew he hated him but again he went to the new testament to find out something about him and the book came out you know and the book came out with the title ben Hur, ben son of Her a book that magnifies Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And when his friend read the book and he went to Colonel Lou Wallace, he said, Why in, how in the world could you have written that kind of a book? He said, it was going to be one to ridicule him. And Colonel Lou Wallace said, because I didn't know him. And when I learned to know him, then I knew what he was. And let me tell you this when we learn to know him that's why we have adult lectures if there's ever a challenge in this day that the church ought to meet and believe you me this is the day this ought to be the harvest time for the church it's to tell individuals who don't know him just who Jesus Christ is that's the message of the church but oh in again in the church so often men have forgotten the real message and the vital message, it's to introduce men to Jesus Christ. And when you and I aren't ashamed to own him, when we know him, and we know that, again, he's never a fraud, he's never going to fail us, then we're ready for Christmas because then we'll rejoice that he wasn't ashamed, God, to come into the world to be born of a virgin, even though he knew what they'd say about his mother, that she was unclean, that she was absolutely one again who would sin, and he knew what they'd say about him, that he was an illegitimate child, But he came anyhow. Don't have to be ashamed to own him. Today, this is Commitment Sunday, and it does pose a tremendous question. You and I can say, uh, you mean that I give myself to this child of Bethlehem, that he is worthy of it, that he's deserving, that he merits my whole hope of heaven to put it on him? And John the Baptist says, yes, he does, because this child is mightier than I am. And John says, I'm the mightiest, he said, human being that ever came into the world. And you and I say, is that true? And John says, yes, he is mightier than I am. I'm not even worth carrying his slippers, his sandals, but I'm the greatest. He is mightier than the mightiest. Because John, the second place, reminds us of this. He says that while this child of Bethlehem and he, they were both prophesied in the word of God, Nevertheless, this child alone was prophesied and was foretold as the Messiah. You may say, why could Jesus ever say that John the Baptist was the greatest human being that ever lived? Was it the fact that he was without sin? No. Part of it is birth, to be sure, but there was something else. John the Baptist is the only prophet of God, who was ever prophesied in the Word? Think of all the prophets in the Old Testament. You children can remember some of them. Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Hosea and Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. And you say, not one of them was prophesied. There was one prophet of God who was foretold that he would come. Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of John the Baptist, foretold the coming of John the Baptist and said, again, a voice crying in the wilderness, ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the word of God in the New Testament said, this was John the Baptist. Think of it, 700 years before he came, John the Baptist, the only one with that distinction, prophesied by God that he would come. And also, we find that Malachi, who lived 400 years before Christ came into the world, prophesied the coming of John the Baptist and said, God says, and I will send Elijah. Before that great and terrible day of the Lord. In the New Testament, Jesus says, and the Elijah that was promised was none other than John the Baptist. He had characteristics very much like Elijah, wearing camel's hair, leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild hunting. Outside man is Elijah. John the Baptist, the only prophet of God who was ever prophesied. 700 years before he came by Isaiah, 400 years before he came by Malachi. And then what else about him? It was prophesied that he would come and he would be the voice that would prepare the way before the Messiah. John the Baptist, the greatest human being that was ever born of woman, the greatest human being that ever came into the world on the basis of Christ, not on the basis of my word, because he ushered in Christ jesus christ he of all prophets stood right alongside of him he prepared the way he was the closest to the messiah that's why john says you'll never go wrong on this child he is greater than I, and I am the mightiest. Look at the position that I occupied. And he is greater because Jesus is prophesied. The whole Old Testament is filled with prophecy. Isaiah tells about him. But what? That he would be the Messiah, the Savior. 53rd chapter. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. David in the Psalm said, Thou wilt not abandon my soul unto hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. They David said, his body isn't going to see corruption, he's going to rise again. He alone was prophesied as the Savior, the one who was going to come into the world to take our guilt and our punishment, who was going to die on the cross for you and me, and who was going to rise again, and therefore is it any wonder that John the Baptist says, you don't have to be afraid to surrender yourself to him why in the very fact that he alone was prophesied as the messiah that he suffered and died as was prophesied and foretold of him and that he arose from the dead then you and i know this he'll never prove a fraud he will never be a disappointment to you and me because the fact that he lives we know that he has forgiveness deliverance from hell and eternal life to give there's no doubt about it because he arose from the dead he is the one you'll never make a mistake i have no fear in my life that because I have given myself to him and spent my life serving him, that he's ever going to in any way undersell me, going to prove a fraud. The big worry is that I may prove unfaithful to him. I never expect him to prove unfaithful to me because as the living Christ, I know that he has forgiveness of sins and I know that he has deliverance from hell and I know that he has eternal life for the world. Because again, he was the prophet who was prophesied as the Messiah. He died and he arose. And that's why today, when we get ready for Christmas and we talk about commitment, we ought to just be honest with ourselves and we ought to lay it on the line. You know, today we're saying, tell it as it is. To be honest with him, what ought we to do? How can I commit myself? Well, there's only one way, and that's the way for everybody. By repentance and faith. That's what John was preaching. It means to stand at the cross and to repent. That means to be sorry for our sins. To stand at the cross and to admit that you and I have sinned. That we deserve to be eternally damned. And it means to lay at the foot of the cross everything in your life and mine that we're doing that we know is wrong. It means to take every deliberate sin of something we're persisting in that we know it's wrong and it bothers our conscience to lay it at the foot of the cross and to say, I'm sorry enough to quit. It means being honest. And that's why John, he turned to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were coming out of They went and got baptized too. They thought, it won't hurt us. And they just were going through a little rigmarole, just simply a sort of a thing you did. And John said, why, you generation of snakes, who warned you to come out here and flee from the wrath to come? He said, you think because you're physical sons of Abraham, you're all right? He said, God can raise up physical sons of Abraham from those stones. He said, you've got to be more than that. When you and I are honest and we stand and we repent at the cross, and then the next thing is in faith that we'll take a flying leap and grab a hold of him. And hold on to dear life and say, I, I put my hope of eternal life in you and in you alone. When you and I are honest, and when again we do it, and we're absolutely certain that this is it and it comes from the heart, then we're ready for Christmas because then the peace of God is ours. There isn't any peace until we level with him. And what a great comfort we have in communion that he also says to you and me when we come assured that we are lost and condemned creatures that were sinners and that we come for eternal life, that by means of lowly bread and wine, he says, here's my body and my blood, and here are the two erasers again, which again I gave in death on the cross, and if you come to Holy Communion, and you're honest and you're leveling with me, my body and blood will simply erase from your soul every point of guilt, every indentation of guilt, and every damnation that you can walk out of this church this morning, you can say, my conscience is clear, I'm ready for Christmas, The peace of God is down here. This is the third Sunday in Advent, and this is Commitment Sunday, and we say to ourselves, well, is this child worthy? And we ask John the Baptist, and John the Baptist says, yes, he is for this reason, that he's greater than I am. He is so far superior to me that I'm not worthy to carry his sandals, but I'm the greatest he again would quote Jesus and remind you what he said. And you and I may say, is it true that uh, this child is greater than John who was the greatest that ever lived? And that's true because John also reminds us that while this child and he both baptized with water, nevertheless John reminds us that only he alone was able to baptize us with the Holy Ghost and with fire. We may wonder, how does it come that John went out in the wilderness and was baptized with water? We have no place in scripture where we are told that he was told to do that. But the very fact that he went out and he baptized with water, that there was a baptism, surely again indicates that God told him what he was to do. Here was a washing of regeneration. They who came out and confessed their sins were baptized. This baptism brought them the assurance of the forgiveness of sins. And then Jesus, you know, the living Christ, gave the command to go out and baptize all nations. Christ himself never personally baptized anybody, but his disciples did. But both of them baptized, this washing that washes away sin. But only this child, John points out, only he was able to baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And you must say, well, what was that? Now, that occurred on the day of Pentecost. This child died on the cross. This child arose again from the dead. This child went to heaven and then sent his Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And remember the tongues of fire on the heads of the disciples there began on that day when the Holy Ghost was poured out as a baptism, there began the great worldwide evangelization of the church. Now it was time to carry the story of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And as Jesus said, as a little mustard seed grows and becomes a large pan, look at the Christian church today that the Holy Spirit has, again, has simply gone ahead and maneuvered and caused to grow. The Christian church today is the largest church in the world. It is larger than the next two human-made religions combined. It is going on, and whenever souls, as you and I see them, confess Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ goes on, the Holy Spirit is still bringing men to faith, and the gates of hell are not prevailing against the church. And when you and I look out today and we say, well, this child, he did baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire, And the church of Jesus Christ goes on. It's the people of God and men are still bowing the knee to him. You and I know this, that he will never fail, that he's worthy. Because since the church of Jesus Christ is going on and it grows and it doesn't stop, he is coming back and he's going to pay up. I have no worry in the world for what he's coming back and he's coming through. I have no worry that he's going to double-cross me. Do you? I have no worry that when I rest my eternal destiny in him that he's going to prove a fraud. No, John the Baptist didn't either because John says he's mightier than I am and I'm the mightiest that was ever born of woman. That ought to mean this in this Advent season that you and I should determine when we have by repentance and faith surrendered to him, but we ought to show in our lives uh, that we have evidence uh, that, again, proves that we have. One of you reminded me the other day, said, did you read the little quip in the Standard several issues ago when it said, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And uh, I had read it and I suppose a number of you had. If you and I were arrested this morning for being a Christian and we were brought before Judge Paul Smith in common pleas court, would there be enough evidence in your life to convict you and me that we were Christians? Or would they say a dismiss for lack of evidence? Heist told the Pharisees and the Sadducees to go out and, he says, and bring forth fruit to prove that you're really... Repentant. How about, is there enough evidence in your life and mine to convict us that we're Christians? How about it? Oh, I'm thinking of that. I think of a man I went to see one day. Talk about evidence. He was a hard individual. His wife had said to me one day, said, he's a man you can't get at. His language was most profane. He worked for a large industry and had a large group of men. They worked outside and he was as tough as nails as we say. I remember going to him and talking to him one day. I was starting to had my adult lectures and I asked him to come and he looked at me and he said uh, what do I want to come for and I said well I'd just like to introduce you to the master and he looked at me. he says I'll never join I said I'll never coax you to join my church I'd like to have you come he Looked at me for a while and he said I'm busy Monday night but I'll come the second Monday night and he didn't come and he sat there for four or five Monday nights and never said a word And he did come up to me after one lecture, and he said, you know, there's more to this than I thought. And I said, yes, I think there is. And after the last lecture, I shall never forget it. It's one of these surprises. He walked up, and he said, "Uh, could I join your church? He said, I never knew Christ. I just didn't know what you people were talking about. But I'd like to join, and he did. Then... You talk about enough evidence to convict him. When I started my next series, he brought a young man with him who worked for him. And after about the first or second lecture, the young man walked up to me and he said, you may wonder why I'm here. And I said, yes, this is rather interesting. Well, he said, when the boss, something happened to our boss. He said, when his speech cleaned up and the profanity and the blasphemy that came stopped, when he started to treat us as human beings and there was a little kindness he said we couldn't get over it we who worked for him and somebody said what in the world has happened to the boss then somebody said he must to become a christian then this man said to me one day not long ago he came to me in person and he said we're starting a series of lectures at our church i'd like to have you go and introduce you to the Savior. And he says, when that guy asked me to go, he said, and when I've seen such a change in a man's life, he said, believe you me, I'm here. And that man joined too. If you and I were arrested this morning for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence in your life and mine to convict us? If there is, oh, we can be ready for Christmas because there'll be somebody there holding our hands and kneeling at the, again at the crib and rejoicing, too, and that will make it to look and say, Well, this child, no less, again, he's mightier than John, mightier than the mightiest human being that ever lived. And, oh, what a joy to kneel at the crib and to be able to look at him and to say, Oh, God, how great thou art. Oh, child, how great thou art. How great thou art. And if you can sing that with a friend, you're going to have a Merry Christmas. Amen. The peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.